Put the mask on now. Put the mask on now. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing wrong with the projection. But you can't share the shock until you have the miracle movie mask. At showings of this motion picture, each patron will receive his own miracle movie mask. Then, but let's watch the scene again. Then you will lift your mask as he lifts his, and you will look through it with him into the weirdest nightmare world that man has ever dreamed or the screen has ever dared show. The new realm of horror that can only be seen through the mask. Joining me on the phone today on Moving Radio uh, is a guest I haven't had on for a while, unfortunately, and that's that's mostly my fault, maybe. Uh, many, many years ago, we talked about a short film that he did, which was featured at the Edmonton International Film Festival. It was called uh, Eight and a Half Stories About Zombies. His name is Jason Polanski. Jason, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, full disclosure, I was in that film. And uh, that's why I think it's genius. And also, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've uh, we've spent some time together. But uh, I don't do this just because I want to talk to you. I mean, that's a bonus, right? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, this is just, that's that's just an excellent bonus to what this is. <laughs> but I got excited because I was reading Rune Morgue magazine, and uh, you know, I, I talked to the other boys from Toronto. But then I was like, JP is doing another article for Rune Morgue magazine, which you do from time to time, and this mm-hmm. time they're talking about the Kino video release of uh, a 3D, very little-known classic from Canada called The Mask, which, once again, for neophytes, has zero to do with Jim Carrey, uh, but does have to do with The Mask and 3D, and uh, and it's an early 60s 3D film. Yeah, I, tell us a little bit of background uh, about The Mask. Well, you know what? Actually, first, let's get into the plot first, and then we'll talk about the history of it, because you know quite a bit, because you did the commentary track on it. So tell people that out there that uh, don't know anything about it, about what The Mask from 1961, right, was about? It's widely known, um, believed to be Canada's first horror film. What it involves is a uh, mask, this ancient tribal mask that when the user puts it on, the wearer, he experiences these sequences that reflect the darkness inside him, essentially, sort of terms of what the plot is. There's a noir plot about a psychologist who the mask falls into his hands, and he he uses the mask to experiment um, with the inner psyche of himself. He uses the mask on himself like a mad scientist, but at its core, it's sort of what he experiences that makes the mask pretty special. As a film. Yeah, you know, the cool thing about this is that people are going to be able to see this on the big screen if they like, and I suggest that you do that. Starting on January 23rd, it's going to be screening at the Metro Cinema uh, for a few evenings, so you might want to be checking that out uh, from the 23rd to the 26th, and... Ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be in 3D, and you'll know when to put your glasses on because the film tells you quite clearly to put the glasses on. You know what I enjoyed about this, uh, and I got a chance to watch it because I picked up the Blu-ray from Kino um, with your beautiful commentary on it, and uh, there is that certain amount of kitsch to it that there is with anything like this that is kind of a you know B-grade horror film, Um, but I love the the idea of it 
being that Canadian context of its importance, uh, but also, too, that it was just a lot of fun and incredibly creative. Like, especially, you know, one of the things that you talked about, too, was just the all the 3D scenes really kind of make it pop and are very vibrant and so different stylistically from the rest of the film. Maybe talk to us a little bit about, about the uh, the B-movie context of it and, and maybe how the mask goes beyond that. The goal with the uh, director, Julian Rothman, with the mask and his, uh, his producing partner, Nat Taylor, was to make a commercial film. And so they opted to make this horror film. But they didn't really stop there. They included these 3D sequences. And the 3D sequences are, in fact, it's kind of, why this, this film is sort of clung on in fans' minds, because there is a small, there's a cult following to it. The 3D sequences are what Dr. Barnes, our psychologist character, experiences when he puts on the mask. And they are absolutely wild um, and insane. They involve almost like a trip into hell with sacrificial elements to them. Um, there's snakes and fireballs and a giant looming mask. And the 3D is also famous for being considered very well done as an anaglyph film. Um, an anaglyph is when you use the red and blue colors to watch 3D, as opposed to what we're seeing now with Polaroid. And Polaroid was also sort of what was being done in the 50s, which is the, just the gray glasses that you get. But to do that, to use the gray glasses, you need two projectors or two images. It's, it's a much more complicated system. So what had happened at the time, I'm going on a tangent here, but what had happened at the time is most of the 50s 3D, the theaters had gotten out of it and they t- took out a lot of their equipment. So that route wasn't an option to Julian Roth. He went with the anaglyph. And it's also probably another reason why it was mostly a 2D film with three 3D segments in it, because anaglyph is notorious for being difficult to take for large amounts of time. My guest on the show today is Jason Polhinski. We are talking about The Mask from 1961. It is going to be screening at the Metro Cinema as well as you can pick it up uh, online or even at fine DVD stores, of which there are very few, like The Lobby, uh, and you have it in your hot little hands to own. So I know for, for yourself, I mean, you got a great background about, you know, the, the technical aspects of 3D, and you've, you've looked into a lot of that stuff. You, you kind of touched on it a little bit in that, in that last answer of like what the importance of this film is and maybe what the difference is uh, for audiences. Uh, for you as a viewer, I know you talked a little bit about what those sequences are like. You know, Rothman was trying to ignore this film a little bit. Uh, it was one of the things that you had talked about. What are, what are some of the reasons as to why, like, you know, you feel like Rothman should have accepted this film a little bit earlier and why maybe it's kind of caught on with a little bit more of a cult following than, than a lot of people had anticipated? The cult following comes from the 3D sequences, which are credited, they're credited to a montage artist named Slavko Vorkopich. In the 30s and 40s, he was quite quite well known. He'd done a lot of art films, um, and then he'd done major studio films. He'd done design montage sequences for um, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington um, and a few others. He, he got it, it got too complicated when he kind of started designing it, so Rothman was sort of forced to, to let him go and continue on doing it himself. He poured like uh, kind of poured his heart into doing them. And that's kind of comes across on film. 
Well, the music's pretty pretty awesome. Did you, have you seen the the uh, vinyl that got released? No, I haven't seen the vinyl. Okay, Just so there's recently? a there's a vinyl release of the music uh, from yeah. the mask as well. And so, yeah. w- what is that through then? Um, it's through. Uh, I think the record label's called Ona's Positive. Okay. Um, they're they're from the UK. They'd done a rescore of the 3D sequences, but they also really dug the electronic music that was done by Ryan and Schaefer. Yeah. Um, and then sort of filled in by Applebaum. So they they decided to put it out on vinyl. Well, I, I mean, talk a little bit about the significance of you know that a lot electronic kind of element of the uh, the soundtrack and maybe how it contrasted some of the other stuff as well because it's that's something that sometimes people don't necessarily pay as much attention to, especially when you, it's a 3D film like that, right? It's not just the 3D that kind of makes it really inventive. There is also that Myron Schaefer wrote this electronic score, and he used this machine called a hamograph to sort of control these tape loops. Um, and it's, it's really an early example of electronic music, and it's kind of freaky and weird stuff. And it's pretty avant-garde for its time, and it's, it's something that, again, the director, Julian Rothman, sort of brought into the mix try it it's kind of like it's this b-movie horror film but it's also kind of this art house film too in a strange sort of way it's this strange amalgamation of the two you've talked about Rothman too and i don't think that that's a name that many people even if they have a you know a decent uh, amount of knowledge of canadian cinema would be highly aware of so where do you think his place is and what what's the importance of him even if people haven't necessarily heard of him I find Julian Rothman doesn't really get his due in Canadian film, and and he's been a a pretty established player in it. He grew up in Montreal, um, but he ended up moving in his teens to New York, and in New York he he started making these little documentaries, sort of consumer based documentaries, and that caught the eye of John Gerson. Gerson asked him to come over to the NFB when it was starting up, and he ended up running the film unit um, during the war. So he was doing all these propaganda films for the war. He did this recruiting piece called The Proudest Girl in the World, which was a recruiting piece that was trying to get women into the army. Um, And it's pretty cool because it's this musical number that goes on for about two minutes. Um, It was written by Wayne and Schuster, not the music, but the, uh, the lyrics and stuff. And then from there, he went back to the States, did a whole bunch of television, and then came back because he was blacklisted. In, he was in Toronto. He set up a production studio. They started doing commercials and stuff. They opened up the first video tape facility in Toronto, and they were doing all this commercial stuff. And he wanted to make films, and so he—that's essentially how the Bloody Brood, his first film, and the eventually the Mask came about. And then after the Mask, he started producing, and he just didn't really have any any hits that took off, and he sort of. As his career progressed and he got older, he kind of got forgotten in the Canadian film industry, which is a shame. Well, that's why we're talking about him today. So, um, for you, uh, what's the attraction? I mean, I, you know, because it could be very easily dismissed. A lot of these these early three D films. What is it about the process, or uh, about you know, I guess the 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 cinematic undertaking to get to that point that people had to go through that makes it more attractive for you than maybe you know some of the more modern processes or things that people will be going to you know line up to see like uh, whether it's the Star Wars or anything else in 3D now. 3D's been around 
virtually since the dawn of cinema. Um, but it really sort of had a, an epoch in the 50s um, for about two years. It was a complicated system for them to be able to project it when everything was sort of aligned correctly. The 3D of the the old 3D is actually stellar 3D because they didn't they couldn't work digitally they like they can now they had to work with film and because it was so technical the technicians got very good at it and a lot of those technicians that had been working in that era uh, not a lot of them but some of them Charles Smith in fact and Raymond Spottiswoode were brought in to help out Rothman so the 3D was as good as the 50s 3D on the mask. Because it was shot in black and white, the 3D was actually able to translate in the next era. So it got a home release in the 80s. And it played on TV, and and oddly enough, it worked fairly well on TV, whereas most films that they tried to bring back in that process through the 80s and on home video didn't. Um, And I think that's another reason why it's got the following that it has still, is because it's never been officially released since through the 90s, and the 2000s, but there's been these bootlegs and these gray market DVDs that have come out that have kind of kept it alive. And you could actually see the 3D effect and not be just too disappointed. Our guest in the show is Jason Bohinski, and we're talking about The Mask from 1961. Uh, you know, you've got some stuff out there that obviously I've referred to before where you've uh, done some articles with Rumorg. You do the uh, commentary track on this Blu-ray uh, release of The Mask. And uh, what are, you know, if some other people are like, hey, uh, I see what he's talking about here. Uh, where are some other ways that I can connect with this guy or read some more of his stuff? No, there's the blog. So I have a blog called Depth Exploitation, which if you can find it, Google it. You can, you can get a hold of me through the blog. Um, and I've, I've written a few things on 3D films. It hasn't been terribly active lately. Uh, I just haven't had the time. I'm hoping to get back to it, though. That's all right. You know, you're making tiny filmmakers, so, you know, that's that's yeah. that's a that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's that was a, that was really muddly. <laughs> that's you know what? Uh, they're going to totally get it and they're going to seek you out. That's for sure. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Our guest in the show today has been Jason Boinsky. We've been talking about the mask. You can catch it at the Metro Cinema people. Uh, in 3D with other human beings, which I think is a fantastic idea. It's going to start off on the 23rd of January. It's going to fall all the way through the 26th. And if you missed that and you couldn't check it out, you definitely want to pick up a home copy for yourself or even just because you want to. You can pick it up on Blu-ray. There's tons of great extras on it. It's a really clean print. I thought it looked fantastic. Uh, And, of course, you can sit down and enjoy uh, facts upon facts upon facts by our guest here today. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, there's a there's a bit in there. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's I think I think it's actually a pretty fabulous film all around. Mm-hmm. Um, I even like flat stuff too. People will call it cheesy. I think it's a product of its time. Um, it's a little overly dramatic bit, but uh, I think it's a very enjoyable film all around. It is, and great historical context cinematically here in Canada as well. Canada, Jeez. yeah, it's Canada's first horror film. Yeah, so check it out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, you know giving us your time. I know you're yeah, a busy you. guy, you know, and it's always nice to have you on here. Anybody that's you know spent at least some time in Edmonton, you know, should always call back to the show every once in a while. Every once in a while, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even oh, if you don't have a reason. Me. 
Even if you don't have a reason, we can just chat and make people listen to it. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. This is the mask that will open your eyes to such things as man has never dared imagine. The mask that will make you part of the sensations of the most staggering experience of your life. But be warned, the things that you will see when you put on this mask will surely take you to the very limits of your nerves and to the very boundary line of sanity. (laughs) 